This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Premier League kicks off on Friday, and this is part two with former England under 21 international Aston Villa, Wimbledon, Bolton, and West Ham former player Nigel Rio Coker. He was here for part one. He's here for part two as we discuss who can break in the mold of the top half of the table. The newly promoted teams. How about the new managers? Rafa Benitez at Everton, Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace. We have so many intriguing storylines. Premier League, I am so excited. Part two begins right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Kego Lasso. And this is our Premier League part two. Part two episode with Nigel Rio Coker, former Wimbledon, Aston Villa, West Ham, Bolton, and so much more. England and the 21 International. Nigel, how are you, my friend? I'm very good, thank you. Yourself? I'm good. I'm very happy that you're here. You were amazing for part one. We got you back for part two. And part two to me is even more interesting. So many storylines to discuss as we discuss you know, the newly promoted teams, those teams that are trying to make it to the top half of the table, those that we might see get relegated, new managers entering the frame as well. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about, Nigel, but I did want to discuss, first of all, a few things, a few changes, by the way, to the Premier League season, everybody. There's, a you know, uh, the gods that be, Right, the rule book makers that be have created a few changes, Nigel. The first one being VAR. They've created a little bit more of a space differential between offensive player and defender when they're offside. So they're trying to make it a little clearer when it comes to VAR because that was a major problem last season, specifically in the Premier League, don't you think? Yeah, it was a problem. I think for the introduction of VAR, the problem that they had wasn't was the clarity of how certain decisions will be made. And I think what also happened with it as it continued to progress was a lot of refereeing responsibilities was taken away from referees. And what people have to understand is these referees are not just picked up off the street and said, oh, you can be a referee, here's your uniform. They train for this. There's a lot of years of training and work that goes into it. So if you train to get a profession and then you get at that profession and most of the responsibilities are taken away from you, What's the point of training them? What's the point of even having referees? Right. So I think for me, it's just clarifying certain things. And I felt that the best that I saw VAR used was for me, the European Championship. I think that's the best I saw it implemented, how it was used, apart from the very soft penalty for England. But <laughs> I know that's something that's going to change, but I don't think there was a lot of criticism. that you The Raheem really Sterling one, you mean? The Raheem Sterling one, right? You said it, not me, but I don't think you can uh, direct any criticism to VAR for the way that it was implemented and used in the European Championship. And if it's that same vein that the Premier League are going to use, then it'll be a lot more better. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And just a, a few of those clarifications and changes that Nigel's talking about, by the way, apparently we're thinking about thicker lines, right? A thicker line to di- differentiate, right? The space, the daylight between if you're offside or not, as well as well, by the way, there's not going to be any more screenshots anymore for uh, for viewers to see. <laughs> that makes it even, uh, I don't know if it makes it easier for us to deal with the decision at hand or not, but that's one as well. Uh, every decision is made off screen going forward. Uh, so the focus is fewer, softer penalties and free kicks as well. They want to really focus more on what you're talking about, which is just, you know, being a little bit more disciplined when it comes to making certain decisions. Obviously, you can fall in the penalty box in accordance to what happened to you with a foul. But now they're trying to be like, let's let's be let's have more context. What is actually a penalty and what is actually a soft one. And I think that's a major focus, Nigel, for this season as well. Yeah, I think that, yeah, there's a lot of players who do buy contact easy. And I just feel that it just needs to be more determined on was the contact sufficient enough to really make a player go down. And I think that's because I'm I'm part of that old school generation. If you're going to go down, go down because someone actually made you go down. And I think that once players know that and they see certain decisions not going their way for going down easily, then it's going to be a good thing for us as football fans to be able to watch. I think the difficult thing of us not having that visualisation of what's happening might become a problem, you know, because I think that when they did do the screenshots and stuff, it did leave themselves open to criticism or when goals were disallowed or when goals should have been given. I understand that. But I think there should still be an element of involvement for the football fans, especially in the stadiums. I think in the stadiums, if they make a decision and, they just put one screenshot and that's it. Then fans still feel part of it. But if fans are not part of it, it's just the referee. There's going to be a bit of grumbling and, you know, discord in the stadium and in the stands. And I have actually witnessed a, an occasion when a referee went to the VAR screen monitor to give a decision. And again, this was in the Latin America. It was a Boca Juniors game. And yeah. the players surrounded the referee and all hell broke loose. And they were yeah. literally above the referee. And, and that's not something that, I would say will be acceptable. And I do say, think they should implement a rule where players should not be allowed to leave the pitch or even come to the sideline. Any player that leaves the pitch to go behind the referee to, you know, look at the camera should be yellow carded. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. There needs to be more special respect for the referee. Absolutely. By the way, another one as well in terms of the handball language. The handball language is a big one, okay? So everybody just know that accidental handballs in the buildup to a goal are no longer going to be deemed as an offense. And the crucial oh. word, the op- the operative word here, Nigel, is build up, right? In the build, build up, up to a goal. goal. Yes. So now yeah. if someone kicks the ball at your hand and it hits your hand and comes off your foot and then right. they're going to score a goal, finally they're going to have some common sense to say, okay, it's still a goal, you know, because exactly. it wasn't. This is the actual new language. Handball. Yep, this is the new language, Nigel. A player, a player is considered to have made their body unnaturally bigger when the position of their hand arm is not a consequence of or justifiable by the player's body movement for that specific situation. By having their hand arm in such a position, the player takes a risk of their hand arm being hit by the ball and being penalized. And what this means is the handball, the handball law, it doesn't longer mean to a particular position or anything other than a standard silhouette of a body that's considered unnatural. So there is no, so basically it, it's still an offensive an accidental handball directly creates the chance of a goal, right? Or the goal itself. But in the buildup, if there's, you know, and that, that's when a referee can say, there's no handball here. 
and, and they have to add more context to it. Well, that's the beautiful thing about language. It's how someone else interprets those words. That's <laughs> going to be the thing and how they're going to implement that. So they can put it in as beautiful language as they like. But when the referees and the VAR assistants get that responsibility to make a decision, that's the difficult aspect of how they're going to really enforce certain rules in how they deem that those words resonate to them. Yep. And the last one, by the way, there's no more just five uh, subs on the bench. Now there's nine. You're going to have nine available players on that bench. Obviously, it's still three subs and two concussion subs, but there's nine players on the bench that teams are going to have available throughout, by the way, the EFL as well. What do you think of that? I think it's wise, especially because of the amount of games that players have played for the past two, three years since this pandemic has started. They've played a lot of games thick and fast, and it's a better opportunity for managers and clubs. Um, I don't think that all clubs would use nine subs. I think some of them would just stick to traditional amount of numbers of substitutes. Well, yeah, substitutes that they're used to. But it still is good for the players, for the health of the players, and to make sure that they've got enough players and the substitutes that they need to make. Yeah, and in a COVID time, you know, it's always important to have as many bodies as you can available to you, even though it doesn't mean that you're adding five subs in. It's that you have now more availability within your depth of the squad. This could mean good for squads that have done good business making yes, their exactly. squads I was, I was just about to get onto that. And I think that for the smaller clubs, you haven't got the financial power. They're going to feel it's a disadvantage for them because now it just means that the likes of the Manchester United, the Chelsea's, the Liverpool's, have bigger benches to field out their big superstars. So yep. they're going to have bigger opportunities to have more quality on the bench, to change games, how they see fit, how they see fit depending on the tactical need, tactical needs needed at that moment. Yep, absolutely right. All right, well, let's keep moving. Let's talk about the table. And part one, uh, and if you haven't listened to it or watched it, make sure that you do so, where we talk about the top seven, the title contenders, Champions League, Europa, et cetera. Here, here, we're talking about the best of the rest and the best stories and who can maybe crack in the top seven or the top half of the table. So, you know, just so you know, a few storylines here, Nigel, and then we can go wherever. All right, and, you know, well, we're going to begin with Vela, sorry. All right, but we have Vela, uh, which we talked about briefly in part one. Dean Smith, of course. Life after Jack Grealish, uh, Leon Bailey, Buendia, Ashley Young, Danny Ings, right? We can talk about your hammers as well. West Ham, right? Uh, they definitely did so well. And then obviously being a marathon of a league, that can be an issue. But no, Lingard this time around. Leeds. Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa. Tremendous stuff there. Everton. A new manager and Rafa Benitez. How will they do? Crystal Palace and Patrick Vieira. You know, there are many interesting storylines. And of course, the newly promoted teams, Brentford with Norwich as well. Uh, you know, those are going to be really intriguing to look at. And who who might get relegated as well? All right. And Watford. Let's not forget Watford as a newly promoted team. So let's begin with those teams that can crack in. All right. Let's add it in a package here, Nigel. Aston Villa, West Ham, Leeds, Everton, beginning with Villa. You mentioned it in part one. You're a fan of Dean Smith, Leon Bailey, Buendia, Ashley Young, Danny Ings. Is the top six finish possible? I think so. I really do. I think that he's made some great additions. And Dean Smith has been doing that for the past couple of years for Aston Villa. Um, he's a very smart manager. And again, another highly rated manager. For me, in my opinion, I'd, I'd rate him up there with the likes of Brendan Rodgers because I just feel he's a fantastic manager. 
Um, he's done so well at Aston Villa and he's brought in some fantastic players. You know, he's brought the old G back, Ashley Young, who I think is a vital component, not just because of his footballing abilities, but what he can also do in the dressing room at Villa and what it will be to have someone of that character and that calibre been there, done that, won, champ, won titles and everything. Um, fantastic player. And um, Danny Ings for me is a fantastic signing. And I'm excited to see Leon Bailey as well. You know, he's a player that I've seen from a distance in the Bundesliga when he was uh, on fire there, doing well, highly rated. And now he's got the opportunity because I know he's always wanted to come to the Premier League. And I feel for him, for a young man like that, there's probably the best manager he could have come played for, the best club he could have come and had a good opportunity. And now he's got the big stage. It's how he's going to take real full advantage of the opportunity he's been provided. Yep, and he just turned 24 years old. He's very young and he's and he's willing and he's hungry. Opening fixtures for Villa, by the way, Watford away, Newcastle at home, Brentford at, Brentford at home, and then away at Chelsea. Uh, so that's your four. And by the way, they're still trying to see if they can do a little bit more business in the transfer market, but with Tyron Minks and uh, Konza, who I believe is a future England international as well, uh, Emiliano Martinez, Copa America winner, should be very intriguing to see how Aston Villa do. All right, let's move to West Ham. Nigel Rio Coco, West Ham, a club you know very, very well. West Ham, um, West Ham. So talk to me about West Ham. Can David Moyes repeat the success of last year when he was trying to juggle the Europa League? Uh, you know, now that he's juggling the Europa League as well, uh, you know, can he can he do that? Can he maintain that? No Jesse it's Lingard, be, by the way. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I think for West Ham, Jesse Lingard came at the right time. They needed that spark, that re-energy. They needed to take away the attention from just Antonio and how vital and important Antonio is for this team. Because he really does add that kind of Lukaku element for West Over-reliance on Antonio, what, Nigel? Over-reliance on him? I think there's a little bit, yeah, last year. I think people don't really give him the praise that he deserved. There is a bit of an over-reliance on him. Um, not be really bringing any players in this year, it's going to be difficult, you know, to really balance competing in the Premier League and also competing in, in the European competition. It's going to be a very tough ask for David Moyes. You know, it's not going to be an easy season, but the fans coming back into the stadium, I think, again, that's another extra burden of pressure because West Ham fans are very demanding. You know, they, they, they see themselves as, and they are a big club, but they're going to be wanting to compete within that top top seven, top eight range. And to compete within that range, you're looking at the likes of, like you said, you've got Aston Villa, Leicester, and all these other clubs. And Aston Villa have made great signings and they don't really have European competition to, yeah. to compete with as well. So for them, it's just purely Premier League and, you know, good cup runs. But West Ham have a lot on their plate. And sometimes when you do so well, the importance of what people have to understand is you do need to bring signings in. And when you bring signings in, freshen up the dressing room. It gives that element of, it re-energizes the dressing room if you bring in the right players with the right characters, but also it doesn't let certain players get comfortable and complacent to still be thinking about last season because last season's done. Now you're moving on to this season. So you don't want that element of complacency and players getting comfortable and then you don't start well. And then when you're always playing catch up in the Premier League, it is very difficult to catch up. Yeah. Uh, you've made some really good points about West Ham. I'll begin with one of the main ones, which is about how they're going to juggle all of this with the Europa League. The only summer signing as we tape, by the way, is goalkeeper Alfonso Ariola, who was with uh, Fulham on loan. Uh, he's a PSG keeper. 
Uh, they tried to get Kurt Zuma. Apparently that was uh, broken, so that didn't happen. And they're looking right now to sign um, defender, Fiorentina defender, uh, Nikola Milenkovic, who, who would be a very good addition. But very quiet right now for West Ham. So I am intrigued. Uh, Jesse Lingard not being there. It'll be interesting to see how they do on their over-reliance on Mikel Antonio because he's, he's a major force for them. And, and he's not one because of the way that he plays that usually stays healthy throughout the whole season. He also get, is, is injury-prone. So, you know, they, yeah, they need a few more, right, Nigel? So They definitely need a few more bodies. And I think with the, the likes of going after Zuma, you can see that David Moyes still doesn't feel he's got enough defensively to be sound to go for the whole season. And um, that's definitely a point. But also with West Ham, you know, it's like a soap opera, that club. And that's the best way to describe West Ham. It's one of the best novellas on television. <laughs> um, you look at the situation now with this whole talk of a new consortium looking to take over the club. And if they don't start well, trust me, the fans will be grumbling and moaning and there'll be that coming into the forefront of uh, newspaper reports of this consortium taking over, no money to spend, they didn't get no players in, they can't compete with the rest of the other teams in there. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how they start and where the narrative goes from there, depending on how they start the season. Well, London Stadium, an empty one, was maybe uh, a blessing for West Ham. What, what do you oh. think this time around? It was a blessing in an empty stadium. <laughs> Trust me. It was a blessing. Because I know what those fans are like and how demanding they are. They're, they're, they're Honestly, they are fantastic fans when they're behind you. But when things are not going right, you have to be very strong-minded and a very strong character. And yeah. some of those players at the club have yet to be tested at that. And now with how well they've done last season, you wonder if they're going to be prisoners of their own success for this season now, because there's going to be such a high level of expectancy from them. And now fans coming back in, and if they don't start well in the first 15, 20 minutes, and the fans start moaning and grunting, that plays a part to some footballers. And that's what fans need to understand. It's not every footballer, but to some footballers, that does play a part. You know, when you're at a home stadium and you don't start well, you know you're not starting well, and then fans start moaning and groaning every bad pass, it feeds into the team. It's that negativity. So now fans are there. It could be a complete different dynamic. Well, a team that really relies on their fan base and uh, their support and their energy, uh, just purely because of the way that they play, is Leeds United. Marcelo Yelsa did a tremendous job in the debut season for him in the Premier League. And now they return. I'm wondering... Nigel, if there's a sophomore slump here for Leeds United, uh, what do you think? I mean, let's talk about some transfers here. Junior Firpo, a right back coming in. Uh, Jack Harrison finally joins on a permanent deal. They got a, you know, the new keeper in Meslier. Obviously, Pat, Pat Bamford, some may say, uh, shorthanded and not even making the England squad. They have a very good team, but it's obviously about the philosophy of Leeds United and how they play under Marcelo Bielsa. Their opening fixtures are away at Manchester United, at home to Everton, away at Burnley, at home to Liverpool. What do you make of Leeds? I think Leeds are going to be, like you said, I think the biggest thing for them is what he's done well is philosophy. You know, if you a manager that comes in, you get enough time given to you to really install your philosophy and your style and for the club to understand it and embrace it and you get to recruit the players that you want to come in there, you'll be fine. You know, that's their identity and that's their style. I think what they have to understand and what they'll be very aware of is a lot more clubs this season and this time around will be a lot more well-equipped 
into understanding how to play against Leeds and the style of play because he's never going to change. He's yeah. not going to step back from it. But more than likely, they will still get enough wins and get enough results to stay in the Premier League because that's that type of style of football is just truly amazing where not every team can be able to handle that. But for the likes of when Leeds go up against the Manchester United's, the Manchester Cities, and, you know, the Chelsea's, they'll be a lot more better equipped because that's what happens in the second season. Teams get to work you out, how to play against you, how to nullify you. But I love the fearlessness of it. And I think what I like about Leeds compared to a lot of other clubs in the Premier League, especially teams that get promoted, is all they've been doing is themselves. They believe in their style. They believe in the principle. And regardless of who they face, they haven't changed anything. And I think sometimes that's the mentality that you need to be very successful in the Premier League. You need that strong-mindedness and you need to focus on what you can control. And that's what you do in your club and what you're about. And don't worry about what everyone else is saying or what other clubs are doing. Yeah, well said. Uh, well said there, Nigel. And you know who also is strong-minded? Uh, Italians. Italians are strong-minded. And Serie A is part of Paramount Plus, your home for soccer. Do you like my transition there, Nigel, how I did that? Stream every match of Serie A Italy's top league featuring some of the world's best clubs, including Juventus, Inter Milan, AC Milan, Roma with Jose Mourinho, Napoli, and so many more. Plus some of the world's biggest stars like Cristiano Ronaldo, Olivia Giroud, Slatan Ibrahimovic, Federico Chiesa, Weston McKennie, and so much more American talent as well. All the live matches, you can see them on CBS Sports, uh, your heart is just going to pound with all the coverage. You don't want to miss it. Serie A kicks off opening weekend, August 21st and 22nd, streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Serie A, Nigel. Serie A. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Fantastic league. And I, like I said, I think that the Serie A, the Italian league now, is really making a transition into the modern game now. Especially, I think the biggest team that had the biggest influence on that for me was... Uh, Atlanta, I think that they've really transformed how Italian football is viewed. And now a lot more of these teams are adapting to that modern game now of a lot more attacking football, a lot more free-spirited football for players to go and express themselves. And it's worked for the national team, I mean, in the yep. European Championship. Absolutely right. Gasperini is a manager I would love to see in the Premier League. It would be so great to have yep. him. Um, unbelievable. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, Everton. Everton. The Toffees. Well, well, well. well. Rafa Benitez, Nigel. Rafa Benitez, what do you make of it? I just don't understand that signing. 
You know, my personal opinion, I really just don't understand that signing. I do not. Let me say it one more time. I do not understand. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. I don't get it. You've gone from Carlos Ancelotti, a manager who wants to play a lot more attacking football, a lot more flair, willing to let players go out to express themselves. And then you've gone to Mr. Park the Bus. To be fair, uh, Nigel, it wasn't their choice that Carlos left, right? Carlos left, so they had to do something. It wasn't, okay, but it wasn't their choice, but you could still have got the right manager in to work with the current players that you have. That's Who would you the have part liked? of making the right decision. Who would you have liked? I think Nuno would have been good there. Mm-hmm. That's what Nuno. I thought originally Nuno, at the beginning of the summer. Nuno, Nuno would have been fantastic there. You know, with the players that they have there, it's all set up for his style and how he likes to play football. Well, Rafael Benitez, for me, is just it's 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 just gone the wrong way. And I just don't think that's going to be a partnership that ends well. I can see divorce in that one very early on because the players that are there right now, the players that have been gathered under Ancelotti and the recruiting system, is not Rafa Benitez's style of players. You know, his philosophy, completely different. So it's going to be difficult. Yeah, it is going to be very difficult. Uh, it's going to be very interesting, specifically for all the reasons that you just said. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. Our producer put in Everton's motto, which is Neil Satis, Neil Optimum. Nothing but the best is good enough. Really, Everton? Is that, is yeah, that what yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what we can see right now with that implicate. Yeah, no. I, I there think are... the good managers they should have gone for as well. They, might have gone, they should have gone for the, the River Plate manager, Gallardo. Ooh, Gallardo. Gallardo would be good for anybody. Um, My God, what a what a man! It would have been great for Everton. It would be yep. great for Tottenham. Tottenham, I think, missed out on that one because I think he'll be great. But I can see him not being at River Plate too long and he'll be going somewhere else. But for me, like I said, Everton, I just when I heard that decision, I just couldn't get over to say that just makes no sense to me. Like, <laughs> it really doesn't. You've got, there's a certain element that people need to understand, especially whether you're a football fan or not. You've got to think about a lot of things. You've got players there who play a certain style of football. You have to make sure you bring the right type of manager who can come in there and handle these players as well as being able and being capable to use them to the best of their ability. So if you've got attacking-minded players generally, it's going to be very difficult for them to change their style to say, okay, now all of a sudden we have to be defensive-minded players. We have to be defensive. We have to sit there. It won't take long for grumblings in the dressing room to start and players start moaning. You know, Everton have really made a big transition, I felt, under Ancelotti in the sense of the players that they've recruited, the attacking style of football. We saw it, how exciting they were. And then now to go back again? Yeah. Divorce in six months. (laughs) (laughs) Divorce in six months. An annulment. It's not even a a divorce. You just annul yourself. (laughs) That's it. But the biggest thing, aside from Rafa Benitez, is the fact, as you mentioned, with Rafa Benitez and his system and the way that he likes to play, the narrative of this squad is really interesting because obviously the fate of Hamas, that's interesting. What's going to happen to him? The fate of Richarlison as well. What's going to happen to him? Moise Kane as well, right? Can Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Nigel, can he repeat the 15 Premier League goals he scored last season? Can he do that with Rafa Benitez? What about Jordan Pickford? Nigel as well. He had a pretty good Euro, but he's still considered a liability sometimes to some Everton fans. So many narratives. What are you thinking? Specifically DCL. Let me ask you about that one. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. What do you think about him? I think he's a fantastic player. But again, like you said, he's still young. So a lot of he's uh, 
progression, a lot of his performances are going to be based on the relationship he has with the manager. And I think Carlos Ancelotti was fantastic for him, helped him to develop, helped him to have a greater confidence and belief in himself. And now with like the manager of Rafa Benitez, I can't speak on a personal level to say I know him or what it's like as a personal interaction with him. But it's going to be about how he interacts with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, if he says maybe a few things that Calvert-Lewin might take negatively, then that might affect and impact his performance. And that's the thing. Managers play such a vital part to players and their performances because some players do need that arm around them. They need to be wrapped in cotton wool, while some players are just a lot more stronger mentally and a lot more tougher where they just don't need anything. You yeah, know, he seems like again. that. He seems yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's that's what's, that's going to be the important part. It's going to be not just the manager, but also his staff being able to make sure that they support Dominic Calvert Lewin to get him to really perform to the same levels he did last year. But again, if you change the system and the style, that plays a part. You know, if you're not attacking as well as well, if you're not encouraging him to get into the box and score headers, if he's spending more time defensively dropping, and you know. It, it's going to be it, it's going to be very interesting to watch that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And by the way, the other one that we should be focusing on, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly say it, and then we'll move on. But James and uh, Rafa have worked together at Real Madrid, and they did work well together. So, so we'll see. What I, granted, a different squad, a different mentality, but but that's what it is. They're opening fixtures for Everton, Southampton at home, Leeds away, Brighton away, Burnley at home. It's going to be interesting to begin life with Rafa Benitez and the blue side of Mercy's side. All right, listen, Crystal Palace, Patrick Vieira, Nigel. Patrick Vieira. Vieira. Oh, now he's with Palace. That's my local team, by the way. Grew up in there. Grew up in that rough neighborhood of Thornton Heath. Yep. Well, my cousin lives there as well. I know it well. What do you make of it? Palace and Patrick Vieira. My honest take on that one is it's a difficult one. I just feel that it's kind of um, whether they did it more for publicity than anything else, but it's a difficult job and it's a difficult situation Vieira's gone in. They've got no real financial injection of cash to buy players to stay competitive. You could already see the direction they're heading with getting in so many youngsters and heading down that route of young players. But the problem they're going to have is if they don't have the right mix of senior players in that team, it's very difficult to go, especially a club like Crystal Palace, to just go with youngsters and compete in this modern-day Premier League. It's difficult. And Vieira's going to be judged. Let's make no mistakes about it. I think, for me, I'd love to see Vieira in a situation where he goes, he's financially backed, he gets his team assembled and buys players in the Premier League, and you give him a year or two or give him the same kind of time like they're giving Arteta and other managers to really put a team together. But I think that it's a very, very difficult situation. And if you want to, you know, kind of cross-reference it to compare it to anything, you look at Chris Hewton, the time he had at Newcastle, the time he had at Norwich. Again, didn't have a lot of financial backing, but did wonders with those clubs to keep them up. But Vieira is returning to the Premier League, you know, an Arsenal legend. That's going to be interesting to see the reception he gets when he goes back to Arsenal. But... um, it's going to be difficult for him. That's that's probably the best thing. And I've said it a few times, but that's just the reality of it. It's very, very difficult to try and build a team of youngsters in this modern day Premier League, especially with how competitive the league is nowadays. 
Yeah, and the only thing that I'll add to that, by the way, is I, I got to know Patrick Vieira as well as a person and a manager when he was with NYCFC. And obviously we know when he moved to France as well. Um, he loves his possession-based football. He loves uh, aesthetically good football. And that's not to not completely disregard Roy Hodgson. It's a different mentality to what Palace are all about. So exactly. it's going to take about time. That. You just said that he's going to take time because he loves possession based, but Palace weren't possession based. And it, it never. reminds I've me never been bought, it reminds me when they bought the 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 boring. Yeah. And he came in, didn't know much about Crystal Palace. I truly don't believe he did. Tried to bring some footballing players. He wanted to play football out the back and it didn't take long till they had to get rid of him because they didn't have the players to play like that. And I understand what Patrick Vieira is trying to do, but what Patrick Vieira has to understand is he's in the results business now. He's an Arsenal legend. There's going to be that microscope under him. And the reality of it is he's a black manager. So he's going to get that extra burden of microscope under him. And if he doesn't do well, it's going to be, oh, let's see, this is why they don't get opportunities because they're just not good enough. But he's in a real difficult situation. And like I said, you look at Chris Hutton when he had Newcastle and Norwich and he did fantastic well with those teams with low budgets and even with Brighton as well. He did well, but I'd love to see Vieira in a different situation where he's given him a good financial backing to be able to go and be successful. But in this modern day Premier League, it's very, very difficult to come in through with a lot of youngsters at clubs like Crystal Palace and, you know, whether it's Crystal Palace and um, Burnley or, you know, Watford and all these teams and say that you're going to be able to compete with the other teams with so many youngsters coming through. Yeah, and I believe the only black manager in the Premier League as well. Like you know, it's there's a, there's a yes. lot of there's a lot of focus here. That's a it's a very good point uh, that you make. By the way, um, all right. Well, their opening fixtures are away at Chelsea, at home to Brentford, away at West Ham, and at home to Tottenham. So you know, we'll see how Vieira does with those four. All right, listen, we got to talk very quickly about the promoted teams. There's a lot of intrigue here, uh, especially. Let's begin with Norwich. Josh Sargent, by the way, U.S. international coming in, you know, to be a backup uh, to uh, Timu Puki. They have some really, you know, Cantwell is a player. He can play very well as well. Max Ahrens is a very good player as well. They got uh, Milo Rashika as well, who comes in from the Bundesliga. Will they learn that lesson from the last time they were around, uh, Nigel Rio Coger? How will they do this time around? Will they, will they survive? I hope they'll learn their lesson, but I think it's going to be very difficult for them to survive. I, I think that if out of the three that, that came up, you probably would say they will be one of the ones that maybe be able to stay up just because of the, the, the experience of last time around compared to a lot of other teams. So that but leaves Brentford out. Yeah, but Brent, Brentford obviously have come with that fearlessness as well. And But for Brentford, that is a huge task. It's a huge task in hand to ask. And, you know, I personally don't even feel Watford have a chance. You know, I think to Watford, for me, they're lucky to be in there and they know it themselves. You know, they're just going to compete the best they can, but they're a team that's going to find it very difficult in the Premier League because, you know, there's so many strong teams ahead of them. There's so many more better equipped teams and having that Premier League experience does play a part, which is why I do feel that probably Norwich have the slightly upper hand out of all three teams that's gone up to probably be able to maybe survive, depending on how the likes of Burnley do, Crystal Palace, and um, maybe even Brighton again. A few of those other teams really compete this year. Yeah. The one thing that I want to mention is there out of these three teams, the player to watch out of anybody this season to me is Ivan Tony. I'm really intrigued, Nigel, to see 
how he does in the Premier League. What do you make of him? Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for him. You know, the Premier League, this is what it's about. He's going to get the the stage. Now, can he command the stage? That's the thing. He's a, he's a great player to watch. I've seen what he's done in the championship. Very excited to watch him. You know, but you said like some players can handle that step up from the championship into the Premier League while some struggle. And uh, it's really going to be all about him. I don't, I don't think there's much that needs to be said or done by managers or coaches. It's really going to be a personal mental battle from the player himself. All right. Well, listen, a team that we haven't talked about, and this is going to be a gamble for me, and I'm saying it right now. Nigel, I think Brighton, don't laugh, okay, have a legitimate shot at top half of the table. Honestly. No Ben White, fair enough, but I think they're going to make enough. I, I Personally, I think Graham Potter's a really good manager. It's just that offensively, it's never really clicked for him. But can it happen this year? Am I insane, Nigel, to think that Brighton will finish top half of the table? Um, Your Paul yeah. says it all. Yeah, yeah, you, you definitely are. I'm sorry. I think Potter is a good manager, but I just still wouldn't put him on the same level as, as Dean Smith and Brendan oh, Rodgers. No you know, no. I, I, I think that he will be on this. I think Brighton is probably going to be this very much similar to what they did last year. You know, I think mm-hmm. towards the end of the season, the run's going to catch them up where, you know, they're just going to be about fighting for survival in the Premier League. You know, but there are other teams around there who could be stuck in for that same scenario. Like I said, Crystal Palace. Burnley. But for me, I just can't see Brighton finishing in that top half. All right. Well, let me give you some other storylines here from the other teams, by the way. Burnley, I feel for Sean Dyke this time around. I, I know that he's such a resilient manager, but once again, Burnley come in with no uh, noteworthy signings, you know, so it's going to be Sean Dyke's management that's going to have to be the main thing. Southampton, no Danny Ings, of course. Uh, Wolves coming in with Bruno Laga, the, you know, the Portuguese sort of mentality we feel will remain. But Raul Jimenez coming back. That will be an interesting storyline with that one. And Newcastle with Mike Ashley, you know, splashing out on Joe Willock. Uh, you know, what what do you make of all those teams? Do you see any of them being relegated, first of all? I don't see many of them any of them being relegated. No. I think that I think Newcastle's come alive at the right time as well. I think um Steve Bruce really did well to, to battle on and face the criticism and walk that fire. There's and, a limit uh, with him, though, Nigel. As a Villa fan, there's a limit with Steve Bruce. He can so, he can well, take you so far, don't you think? Yeah, well, we'll see what happens this year. I think, again, he's another manager that's going to be under the microscope straight from the start of the season. You know, um, the assistant manager that he brought in definitely was one of the catalysts that was needed at Newcastle at that time to turn around the performances. Um, again, it's a club up north. You know, they they call themselves the king of the north. Big club, big <laughs> fan base. And there's great expectancy there. Um, I, I I think uh, with Wolves, it's again, it's another team that's very similar to well to Tottenham. We're going to have to wait to see how they start to progress, how they start to play out. Because yeah. it's going to be difficult to say, oh, we, this is what we expect from them. Because it's a new manager. He's going to want to have his new own style and he's going to want to stamp his own authority on the club. Um, Burnley's always been difficult. I think Burnley's the signs have been there, and I think that this year, more than likely, they could probably be drawn into that relegation fight more so this year than last year. They would be your most likely one. If there was one of them, they would be your most if likely one. If there was one, I, I would have to say it would probably be Burnley. Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish off here with a few things. Uh, let's make let's have some fun here. All right. I'll give you some time to think about it. 
not that much time, but a little time. Out of all the managers that we're talking about, who do you think, by the way, I got this right last season with Frank Lampard. I even got it. I was off by a month. I said that he'd be off around Christmas time. Wow. He was off in January. Who is the if first manager? Didn't. Who is the first manager this season to be fired? First one to be fired. Now, we're talking about, you know, I don't think it was completely shocking that Frank Lampard failed, right? No. But it was a top four team, of course. Expectations all over the pitch. Is, is Patrick Vieira's tenure going to be too soon? Rafa Benitez, maybe. Steve Bruce, if things I've don't got, go well for him I've straight got, away, I've what got, do you think? Yeah, I've got three. I'm all right, go on, with Rafa Benitez. Okay. Steve Bruce. Yeah. And Arteta. <laughs> Give me Arteta. one. Give me one. Who is it? I'm going to go with Arteta. Yep. Why is that? Yep. I just feel that really and truly there's a great burden of expectancy and great pressure on him at Arsenal this year. I, I, I think now they've given him the chance to recruit some players in, they're going to want to see results. You know, Arsenal are a big club. And they have the right to have big ambitions. And now he's got the players that he wants in. I think he's under a lot of pressure now. You know, there's nothing more he can hide under about recruiting and players and this. He needs to get results. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a bold decision and it's not necessarily a terrible one. I, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how he manages because no longer can you say, Arsenal fans, he needs time. You just, you can't say that anymore. Obviously... Yeah. Obviously, Arsenal financially are not exactly booming, but they did spend 50 million on a defender. And, uh, you know, they, they still have to figure things out in the midfield. But no, look, Arteta needs time to figure his philosophy because, you know, it's just, it's over from that perspective. All right. Relegation predictions, Nigel. Who are your bottom three that are going down? Who do you think? Oh. Watford. Well, first of all, as, okay, Watford is one. Brentford. Oh, that's sad. The bees are another. S sorry to our friend Natalie Sawyer. Uh, and uh, last part, can they do it? Can they not? You talked about Burnley. Uh, you said Norwich City might learn some lessons. Who is it? I'm going to go with Burnley. In the, yeah, yeah, there you go. I'm going with Watford, Brentford and Burnley. The limitations for Sean Dyke are just too much. Yeah, it's, it's it's difficult. You know, the recruiting there as well is very difficult, especially <laughs> to recruit players in that region of England. It is not easy. Um, and he's always wanted investment into the club and they haven't really given him as much investment as he wants. And again, it's another club where there's talk about obviously a takeover. So that's going to be something that plays a part. But he's done well, in my opinion there. Oh, he's done tremendous with literally no money. Look what he's done. He's managed to keep them a Premier League team for so long. Uh Granted, they're not the sexiest team to watch, but you can't deny just how much he's done with so little. All right, two more things, and then we are done. The first one is breakout star. Give me a breakout star of the Premier League. Who do you think uh, is going to be one to win for this year? It could be a player that already played, but we didn't see enough of last season. It could be a brand new player that enters the Premier League. Is there anybody that you're keeping your eye on? Um, I think, uh, I don't know, I've just got this feeling that Lukaku is going to, do something great this year again. So I think Lukaku is what I'm going to go for. 
Nice, nice. Well, I'm going with Leon Bailey uh, for that one. Uh, all right, let's go with, uh, of course, I was going with Leon Bailey. Which team do you think, this is the final question, benefits the most or the least from the return of fans? And I think I know the answer for that. <laughs> Which team benefits the least? Yeah, or the most. You can go, go either way. Um, let me think about this. I mean, we talked about Arteta and the Emirates Stadium. We talked about London Stadium as well and West Ham. No, uh, I, I, I think Arsenal definitely benefit the least because yeah. it's not a place that you're going to want to be right now and it's what, no European football for the first time in 25 years. Um, and then for the most, I think Leeds. Yeah, Ellen Road, right? Absolutely. Yeah. A, a, a club that just, uh, you know, uh, feeds of just the, the overall vibrancy of of all the stadium. Absolutely correct. And that was it, everybody. Your Premier League preview. This was part two. Nigel Rio Coco, I want to thank him so much. You were fantastic, my friend. I really, really thank you. Uh, make sure that you follow Nigel on Instagram. He doesn't have Twitter. He's a smart man. Or you, or you do yeah, have a I Twitter, don't. but you don't use it that much. No, I'm not Kevin Durant. I don't have Twitter. <laughs> I've got no time for games. Like I said, treat people how you like to be treated. I'm on Instagram, yes. I love it. You should tattoo that, my friend. I got no time for no games. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Nigel, thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. I want to thank Nigel Rio Coco for joining me today for Premier League Part 2. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod. We're also on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Kegolasso. Follow us, subscribe to us on YouTube. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CBS Sports, and your CBS Sports app. We got plenty more coming your way as Friday also comes our first weekend preview of the season. Jimmy Conrad is here once again, and we recap all the action at the end of the weekend with Jimmy and Heath Pierce. Que Golazo is here. It's growing. It's going nowhere. So make sure that you're with us for the ride. Have a great day. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.